We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I just have to say that again because I can actually say it and I don't sound like some sort of horrible monster. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you may or may not know, I've been struggling with a that whole coughing throat thing for... Uh, I think this is my fourth week now, and while I'm much improved, it's been a long road to hoe. So we're glad to be back in studio with a little bit clearer voice and glad to have you with us. A little later in the program, I want to kind of let you know what's been going on for the last few weeks, kind of get you caught up. Uh, spent some wonderful time in um, uh, Hillsboro, although it's technically, I think, Beaverton at um, a Harvest Community Church. Uh, spent some time at... Um, uh, Mount Angel uh, last night, just a lot of really cool things happening that have uh, warmed my heart and reminded me of the tremendous uh, perspective uh, that we have during this season and the tremendous family that we're a part of if we are followers of Christ. We'll get into that a bit later in the program. But I also want to let you know that we're going to talk with an old seasoned businessman, Joe Green. He's the author of Dare to Succeed, Experiencing the Satisfaction of Doing Business by the Book. Now, some people might chuckle, business by the book. What does the Bible have to say about how to run a business? Well, he has been a very successful a Fortune 500 CEO and in fact, founded an organization uh, at this point uh, that is a fellowship of CEOs where he encourages others to do what he has done successfully. Again, his book is titled Dare to Succeed, Experiencing the Satisfaction of Doing Business by the Book. He'll be joining us in the five o'clock hour. So I hope you'll uh, make plans to join us. It's uh, a fascinating idea that uh, far fewer people than you might imagine have actually undertaken uh, the, uh, the project. Well, taking a look at some of the news headlines, uh, which can in and of themselves be somewhat depressing, uh, I wanted to mention uh, that a uh, Bangladeshi man reportedly inspired by ISIS set off a pipe bomb inside New York's Port Authority bus terminal during rush hour this morning, sowing mass chaos, uh, causing few injuries, however, likely because the attempted terrorist detonated uh, his low tech device prematurely. At least that's the presumption that it was premature. The 27-year-old, whose name I will not uh, utter, set off the effectively low-tech device in a subway passageway just before 7.30 a.m. New York time, according to New York Mayor Andrew Cuomo in a news conference. Uh, The uh, would-be bomber who lived in Brooklyn suffered burns and wounds to his abdomen and hands and appeared to be the only person seriously injured in the pipe bomb explosion. It does give us a glimpse into the resolve that some individuals have Uh, However, to harm others. In this case, he ended up only harming himself seriously and injuring about four others. Uh, They suffered minor injuries, we're told, including ringing in the ears and headaches. Uh, They are in stable condition and expected to be released uh, later today, the hospital said in a statement. As for the would-be bomber, he is expected to fully recover from his self-inflicted injuries as well. Andrew Cuomo said, this is New York. And uh, the reality is that we are a target 
uh, by many who would like to make a statement against democracy, against freedom. New York City Mayor uh, Bill de Blasio said the explosion was an attempted terrorist attack, adding that there was no additional known threat to New York City. Authorities are investigating transit system video that captured the incident. In fact, some of that can be seen online. Uh, de Blasio went on to say, thank God the perpetrator did not achieve his ultimate goals. Well, the perpetrator's attack was inspired by ISIS, but he had no direct contact with the terrorist group, law enforcement officials say. Uh, when asked if he uh, made statements about ISIS, the uh, New York uh, Police Department commissioner said the suspect did not make statements at all, but he did not go into uh, detail about what was said. Uh, the uh, attacker strapped the crude pipe bomb to his his body with Velcro and zip ties. The suspect allegedly packed a five-inch metal pipe bomb, the battery pack, into the right side of his jacket, but the device exploded earlier than intended, presumably, and that's according to law enforcement. The suspect told police he made the bomb at the electrical company where he works, the New York Post reported. A large police presence was uh, spotted soon after the explosion in a section of Brooklyn that boasts a significant Bangladesh population. An NYPD source on the scene at Port Authority said the device went off and there was a bomb strapped to the person. The Port Authority Police Benevolent Association said its officers took down the suspect at gunpoint. President Trump was briefed on the incident. White House Press Secretary Sarah uh, uh, Sanders said, well, the perpetrator held a um, TLC for higher vehicle driver's license from March of 2012 through March of 2015, but was not renewed after that, official said. The explosion today is the second ISIS-inspired attack in New York City in less than two months. An October 31st attack killed eight people and injured 11 others after a man drove a rented truck into people walking and cycling on a bike path in lower Manhattan. Several people wrote on social media shortly after the reports today, after the explosion, that there was mass chaos at the bus terminal, some saying there was a stampede when the blast was heard. A Greyhound bus driver told Fox News that he heard a loud noise and was soon ordered by authorities to leave. I don't argue with the guns, the man said. One 25-year-old was on his way to work when he heard the uh, heard about the explosion, rather. It's sad to say, but it's just another day in New York. It's crazy. It's uh, chaos right now, said a 53-year-old who was visiting New York City from Columbus, Ohio. You do hear about it. You see it. But it was uh, I wasn't expecting to see it uh, on my run to Starbucks. Well, Port Authority is the largest bus terminal in the U.S. About 232,000 commuters go through that area daily. The number of passengers is expected to jump 337,000 daily by 2040. So this is a major transportation hub. The terminal uh, reopened uh, this afternoon, or rather late morning, after it was temporarily closed. Several subway lines were halted and redirected to bypass Times Square and Port Authority after the incident. Um, And they are still developing more details uh, in that developing story. Well, Democrat Doug Jones uh, holds a 10-point lead over Republican Roy Moore among likely voters in deep red Alabama. At least that's the latest. Although it's interesting hearing pollsters uh, from both sides of the political aisle, it's very difficult to call. It depends on who shows up. Now, that seems like a... A naive statement. It always is about who shows up. And in this case, they're talking about who's most motivated to either deprive a judge more of an opportunity to serve in the U.S. Senate 
or to uh, assure that he does serve in the U.S. Senate. And there's a lot up in the air. Uh, Democrat Doug Jones, as I mentioned in the last poll that was taken earlier, uh, said that uh, or the poll rather said that there was a 10 point lead over the Republican of likely voters in this deep red state. Greater uh, party loyalty plus higher interest in the election among Democrats combined with more enthusiasm among Jones supporters gives him the advantage in the race to fill the U.S. Senate seat previously held by U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions. And then there's some question as to whether or not Judge Moore is successful in winning what that will mean when he shows up in Washington. Well, that's according to a Fox News news poll of Alabama voters conducted on Thursday through Sunday using traditional polling techniques, including a list-based probability sample with both landlines and cell phones. What that will mean on Election Day isn't always so clear. Jones received 50 um, percent of uh, uh, Moore's 40 percent, or rather two Moore's 40 percent, with a one in one to ten undecided or eight percent, or supporting another candidate at two percent, which could make a difference on Tuesday. That's even truer with such an unconventional election with unconventional candidates. Well, this race's uniqueness is significant. It's impossible to know who will show up to vote in a special election to fill a seat in the middle of uh, of a term in an office. Year at its uh, December, a time when people expect to be um, going shopping uh, and not voting, um, and then given the controversy surrounding at least one of the candidates, it is an unpredictable year uh, to say the least. We'll talk a bit more about that and what one of uh, Roy Moore's accusers is now admitting. That and more when we return. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ. We're back 21 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. We're talking about the um, special election in Alabama that takes place tomorrow. And I think for most of us, it will just be a relief because then we don't have to hear about it. We'd like to think, well, that will be the end of it. Well, it may or may not be the end of it. If the Democrat wins, that'll pretty much be the end of it. But if uh, Judge Roy Moore wins, that certainly will not be the end of it, given what some Republicans have already said they intend to do uh, if he makes his way into the uh, uh, the old boys club. So we'll uh, we'll find out more about that. Uh, President Donald Trump, who won the state uh, by 28 points in 2016, held off endorsing more until the 4th of December, about a week before Election Day. Alabama senior senator Republican Richard Shelby announced on Sunday he didn't vote for more and instead cast a write in vote, which just gives you a, a glimpse into the hand wringing that many Alabamans are are facing. I mean, you want to believe that someone that and I'm referring to them as they have elected him for things before that you can believe in and trust in. It's difficult to know. And I'm not speaking for them. On the other hand, you have those who have opposed him from the beginning. And this just uh, makes it easier to do so. So there's a lot of hand wringing going on in Alabama. Uh, as for uh, Mr. Jones, he has a 10 point edge outside the polls, three percentage margin of error points, sampling error. Last month, Jones uh, had uh, shed by um, was ahead rather by eight points among likely voters and by nine among the larger group of registered voters. Now, I'm a, a bit skeptical just accepting what the polls have to say because we've seen so many of them dramatically wrong. But this just gives us a glimpse at a single poll at a particular time. It may not say anything about the outcome tomorrow. Among just the 46 percent of Alabama voters who are extremely interested in the race, the Democrats lead widens 53 to 40 percent. Jones lead comes mostly from uh, non-whites, younger voters and women. He's the choice of non-whites by 76 percent. 
uh, by 31 percent uh, points rather among voters under the age of 45 and by 20 among women. That's percentage points that jumps to 46 percent among women under age 45. Um, more Democrats and Republicans are extremely interested in the election and more Democrats plan to vote for Jones than Republicans plan to vote for more. Uh, the small uh, subgroup of independents breaks for Jones by 29 percent uh, uh, points rather. More is uh, preferred among whites by 20 points and whites without a college degree by 33 percentage points. Support for um, uh, the judge among uh, white evangelical Christians is down eight points since last month. It was 73 per, uh, percent in November and stands at 65 percent right now. And his advantage among men has dropped from 12 percent to three percent right now, three points. In addition, Republican men at 41 percent are less likely than GOP women at 50 percent or Democratic men. Uh, to be extremely interested in the race in general. Well, Judge Moore might prevail if only the people who typically vote in Alabama in elections turn out on Tuesday, which is often what happens in special elections. That's a, a quote from a Democratic pollster, Chris Anderson, who conducts the uh, Fox News poll and Republican count, uh, counterpart Darren Shaw. But this appears to be a special, special election with blacks and young voters animated by the caustic Republican candidate and the chance of winning a statewide election with national implications. And at the same time, some Republicans and many moderates are turned off by more as well, end quote. Well, a subtle but to potentially noteworthy finding is Alabama voters who were interviewed on cell phone are um, uh, plus 30 for Jones, while the race is roughly uh, even among others. The fact that traditional high quality probability samples like the Fox News poll include uh, both landline and cell phone numbers, maybe uh, why these polls show Jones doing relatively well compared to automated or blended polls. So even the type of polling that's done may influence its outcome. I certainly do not purport to have any insight into how this is going to turn out. Only uh, some of the challenges that the candidates face and the parties who are supporting them. Uh, but it will all be over, at least the election portion of the uh, the. Uh, battle uh, tomorrow evening in Alabama when votes are cast and ultimately counted. Well, meanwhile, adding another twist, uh, one of the women, and there are several, who accused Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore of making advances on her when she was a teenager and uh, and said that he was a local prosecutor, admitted on Friday to writing part of the yearbook inscription she offered as proof a new crack in her story that gives more an opening to attack her credibility. Beverly Young Nelson admitted on ABC News that she added notes beneath what she says is Roy Moore's signature in her high school yearbook. An inscription that she uh, and famed attorney Gloria Allred presented as proof uh, the then 30-something more sought an inappropriate relationship with her in the late 1970s. The notes below the, sig- below, rather, the signature appear to be uh, the handwritten date and location. Nielsen uh, still insisted that Moore wrote most of the message, but her credibility is certainly undermined by her new admission. She did sign her yearbook. Um, uh, Beverly, he did sign your yearbook. ABC's Tom uh, Lamas uh, asked her. He did sign it, she said. And you made some notes underneath, Lamas asked. Yes, she replied. And while uh, Nelson did not specify exactly what she added to the inscription, the text beneath Moore's signature reads, 12-22-77, Old Hickory House. Well, during her original press conference with uh, Gloria Allred in November, in which she made her original accusation, 
Uh, Nelson read aloud and attributed the entire inscription to Moore, including the date and location. He wrote in my yearbook as follows, and then she read it. Uh, read it. She said, well, at the time, Nelson did not admit to writing the date and the name of the restaurant herself. The implication was that it had been written by Moore. Moore tweeted Friday, now she herself admits to lying. Now, what difference this may make in the election is not clear, but uh, it does at least help him in suggesting that claim may not be as credible as the accuser suggests. Again, I leave that open to um, Alabamans to interpret and ultimately uh, if these issues are taken up under law to be resolved. Meanwhile, uh, Doug Jones, the Democrat candidate, sent an, a racially insensitive flyer that some are uh, quite frustrated and upset by. From the story, the, uh, the flyer, which has been circulating on social media and reportedly came from the Jones campaign, shows a young black man with a skeptical look on his face. Think if a black man went after high school girls, anyone would try to make him a senator, it reads. Uh, the offensive um, uh, flyer. Again, whether or not it will have an impact, probably not. Meanwhile, the chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee says that he will not support Judge Moore if he is successful. He uh, says, and I'm quoting, Roy Moore will never have the support of the Senatorial Committee. We will never endorse him. We won't support him. This is Colorado Senator Cory Gardner speaking to the Weekly Standard. I won't let that happen. Nothing will change. I stand by my previous statement. So again, tomorrow is the election. But what happens next if Judge Moore wins? Uh, may be a, uh, even a larger part of the story. Meanwhile, three women who previously have accused President Trump of sexual misconduct banded together today to call for a congressional investigation into the president in what uh, could be an opening effort to shift the sexual harassment spotlight from Congress to the White House. The women revived their allegations during a press conference and television interview in New York City. The president has long rejected the accusations from over a dozen women who've made such claims against him and the White House called the revived accusations false. The three accusers spoke out Monday following high-profile resignations last week of uh, Senator Al Franken, saying, I think it's only fair that they do the same for Mr. Trump. Well, Senator Franken announced his resignation last week, as did Representative John Conyers and Trent Franks, a Republican out of Arizona. The president's accusers on Monday also sought the president's resignation, but acknowledged that's unlikely. In terms of resigning, it's probably the right thing to do, but I can't imagine he will. I think the congressional investigation is the only thing we can ask for, one of the accusers said. Well, the women attracted some congressional attention. Senator Kristen Gillibrand, uh, who helped lead calls for Franken to step down on Monday, told CNN that Trump, too, should resign, calling the women's claims credible. Uh, Crooks gave a detailed account of her story, accusing the president, who was a civilian at the time, of kissing her on the lips when she was a receptionist at a company in Trump Tower when she was 22 years old. She says she was shocked and devastated that it happened very fast. Two other women shared their stories during the press conference and on the same program. Jessica Leeds, who first told her story during the presidential campaign, detailed her experience on an airplane in the 1970s. Uh, she claims Trump started uh, kissing and groping her. Mr. Trump, he was bored and wanted some entertainment, she said. The third, Samantha Holvey, a former Miss USA pageant contestant, alleged that during one pageant he came backstage and acted inappropriately toward her while she was um, uh, getting her hair and makeup done. I won't go into the details because those kinds of salacious details don't need to be uh, repeated. But it does suggest that the story even 
the stories alleging the president's misconduct uh, have not died down. And uh, whether or not there will be some sort of a congressional investigation, it certainly does point to a tremendous problem we have in this republic. Um, that I'm, I'm hoping at least a light shined and accusations made, some credible, some not, um, that we'll have a, a, a conversation about uh, appropriate conduct in every circumstance. 31 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Just going to enjoy the music for another moment there, Clark. So nice. Well, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. It's about 37 minutes after 4 o'clock. Also want to remind you, we'll be talking with Joe Green. He is the author of Dare to Succeed, Experience the Satisfaction of Doing Business by the Book. He's done it very successfully and now is uh, helping to train others who are like-minded. So he'll join us uh, in the 5 o'clock hour. Hope you can stick around for that. Also, I want to encourage you to join me and the KPDQ crew. We're going to be uh, broadcasting live from the Bible truck this Friday from 4 to 6 at Clackamas Town Center. Now, the Bible truck is a unique mobile Bible exhibition that features hundreds of historical exhibits, including educational posters, maps, Bibles, stories of persecution from the Bible, uh, videos about the uh, Bible, and a clear gospel message. Come say hi. Join us this Friday as we explore or the history of the Bible together. For more information, you can go to kpdq.com. But again, we're going to be broadcasting live from Clackamas Town Center. I'll try to get a better idea where at Clackamas Town Center. It's a pretty big place, and there are lots of people there, so we'll uh, get more details. But that's coming up this Friday from 4 to 6. We'd love to see you, to say hi back, and for you to have the opportunity to enjoy this uh, rather unique Bible truck. That's uh, this, uh, this Friday. Looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, the Defense Department plans to allow transgender people to enlist in the military starting January 1. This according to Pentagon officials. They confirmed uh, today after a federal court ordered the military to do so despite opposition from the president. The president over the summer announced via Twitter a ban on transgender service members. But the directive has since been challenged in the courts. And the federal judge last month said the U.S. military must accept them starting January 1st which is sort of an awkward way of saying it because they've already been in the military and a study was ongoing. Well, the new policy reflects growing legal pressure on the issue and the difficult hurdles the federal government would have to cross to enforce the president's demand. We've come that far in a very short period of time under the previous administration. Potential transgender recruits will still have to overcome a lengthy and strict set of physical, medical and mental conditions that make it possible, though difficult, for them to join the armed services. Major David East Burn, a Pentagon spokesman, says the enlist uh, the enlistment of transgender recruits will start January one and go on amid the legal battles that are continuing. The Defense Department also is studying the issue, and that apparently has not yet been completed. Eastburn told the Associated Press uh, today that the new guidelines mean the Pentagon can disqualify potential recruits with gender dysphoria, a history of medical treatments associated with gender transition, and those who underwent reconstruction. But such recruits are uh, allowed in uh, if a medical provider certifies, excuse me, <coughs> they've been clinically stable in the preferred uh, sex for 18 months and are free of significant distress or impairment in social, occupational or other important areas. Now, that is fraught with all kinds of 
uh, questions um, and thoughts, but we'll leave that um, as is for the moment. Transgender individuals received hormone therapy also must, or receiving it, must also be stable um, on their medication for a minimum of 18 months. Last year, then-Defense Secretary Ash Carter ended the ban on transgender service members, allowing them to uh, serve openly in the military. He said that within 12 months or by July of 2017, transgender people also would be able to enlist. The president, however, uh, tweeted in July that the federal government will not accept or allow transgender troops to serve in any capacity in the military. A month later, he issued a formal order telling the Pentagon to extend the ban. He gave the department six months to determine what to do about those currently serving. Well, Trump's decision was quickly challenged in court. Two U.S. District Court judges have already ruled against the ban. Part of one rule uh, uh, ruling uh, required the government to allow transgender individuals to enlist beginning January 1. That doesn't settle the issue, but it does at least give it a known status for the time being. The government had asked uh, that the January 1 requirement be put on hold while the appeal uh, proceeds. The Pentagon move uh, today signals the growing sense within the government that authorities are likely to lose the legal fight or at least uh, lose it in the short term. Now, as you know, there are a number of investigations going on about who said what and did what to whom with whom prior to, during and after the election. Uh, And there are some interesting developments that have uh, come to my attention just recently. So if you're trying to follow all of that, I'll try to put it into some perspective. But today there was an exclusive on the man who says he acted as the go-between last year to inform Senator John McCain about the controversial dossier containing salacious allegations about then-candidate Donald Trump. And he's speaking out, revealing how the ex-British spy who researched the document helped coordinate its release to the FBI, the media, and Capitol Hill. One of the questions that's being asked right now is whether or not this dossier was presented as reason uh, to the FBI, was presented as reason to follow Trump um, uh, associates during the campaign. My mission was essentially to be a go-between and a messenger to tell the senator and assistants that such a dossier existed. Sir Andrew Wood told Fox News in an exclusive interview with uh, senior executive producer Pamela Brown. Fox News spoke to Wood at the 2017 Halifax International Security Forum in Nova Scotia, Canada. As Britain's ambassador to Moscow from 1995 to 2000, he witnessed the end of Russian President Boris Yeltsin and the rise of Vladimir Putin. Just after the U.S. presidential election in November of 2016, Arizona GOP Senator John McCain spoke at the same security conference. Wood says he was instructed by former British spy Christopher Steele to reach out to the senior Republican whom Wood called a good man about the unverified document. Well, Woods insists that he'd, uh, he's never read the dossier that his good friend and longtime colleague prepared. It was commissioned by opposition research uh, firm Fusion GPS and funded by Democratic National Committee and the Hillary Clinton campaign. In August of 2016, Steele came to me to tell me what was in it and why it was important, he went on to say. Uh, He made it very clear, yes, it was raw intelligence, but it needed putting into proper context before you could judge it fully, end quote. Well, August of 2016 is a crucial period, he says, just after the FBI opened the Russia meddling probe and after then-director James Comey recommended against prosecution, rather prosecution, for Clinton's mishandling of classified information. Woodstead uh, said, rather, that Steele had already been in contact with the FBI at that time. He said there was cooperating 
evidence in the United States from which I assume he was working with an American company. British court rec- uh, records reviewed by Fox News, as well as U.S. congressional testimony, reveal that Steele was directed and paid at least $168,000 by Fusion GPS founder Glenn Simpson to push the research that fall to five American media outlets. According to British court documents, Steele met with the New York Times twice, the Washington Post twice, CNN, The New Yorker and Yahoo News twice. Each of these interviews was conducted in person and with a member of Fusion also present, according to records associated with separate civil litigation against Steele and Fusion GPS. Wood said that he'd heard of Fusion GPS as the group Steele was working with, but had never heard of Mr. Simpson. Three weeks after Trump won the presidential election at the Canadian Security Conference, the details were finalized for the dossier handoff to Senator John McCain. Along with the Senator, Wood and McCain uh, uh, Institute for International Leadership staffer David Kramer attended the Canadian conference. British court records state McCain ordered Kramer to get a personal briefing from Steele in uh, Surrey, just outside of London, and then returned to Washington, D.C., where Fusion GPS would provide McCain with hard copies. In January, McCain officially gave the dossier to the FBI, which already had its own copy from Steele. Of note, listed in the original program of the 2016 November Canadian Conference as a participate a participant rather was uh, the same Russian lobbyist who was at Trump Tower five months earlier in June for a highly scrutinized meeting with Donald Trump Jr. and others. It's not known whether that individual had any contact with McCain or with Kramer. Fusion GPS and Kramer did not respond to requests for comment from Fox News. When asked to comment, McCain's office referred back to a January statement that said he could not judge the dossier's uh, accuracy. But tracing its whereabouts, whose hands it was in and from whom, whose hands it was um, released into other hands as uh, part of the ongoing investigation. When we come back, we'll talk about the wife of the demoted uh, Department of Justice official who worked for the firm behind that dossier and why that's important. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back 52 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later in the next hour of the program, we're going to talk with Joe Green. He's the author of Dare to Succeed, Experience the Satisfaction of Doing Business by the Book. He's been a very successful businessman uh, in his own right, uh, but felt called to change his business model after 30 years. Uh, and what uh, what happens next will be the subject of our conversation when he joins us at about 515 uh, this uh, second hour. Well, a senior Justice Department official demoted last week for concealing his meetings with the men behind the anti-Trump dossier has even had even closer ties to Fusion GPS, the firm responsible for the incendiary document uh, that have uh, been disclosed. Um, the official's wife worked for Fusion GPS during the 2016 election. So the um, tangled web that's been woven is getting a bit tighter and uh, more difficult to unravel. Uh, Contracted by uh, Fox News, investigators for the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence confirmed that uh, Nellie Orr, the wife of the demoted official, Bruce Orr, worked for the opposition research firm last year. The precise nature of Ms. Orr's duties, including whether she worked on the dossier, remains unclear. But a review of her published works available online reveals that she has written extensively on Russia-related subjects. The um, permanent select committee 
on uh, intelligence in the House, uh, the staff confirmed that uh, she was paid by Fusion GPS through the summer and fall of 2016. Well, Fusion GPS was uh, has attracted scrutiny because Republican lawmakers have spent the better part of this year investigating whether the dossier, which was funded by Hillary Clinton's campaign, the Democratic National Committee, uh, and others, served as the basis for the Justice Department and the FBI to obtain FISA surveillance last year on the Trump campaign advisor's uh, named Carter Page. Now, until December 6th, um, when inquiries were first made about him, Bruce Orr held two titles at the Department of Justice. He was and remains director of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, but his other job was far more senior. Mr. Orr held the rank of Associate Deputy Attorney General, a post that gave him an office four doors down from the Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein. Well, the day before um, it was reported that Mr. Orr held his secret meetings last year with the founder of Fusion GPS, Glenn Simpson uh, and uh, Stephen, or rather Christopher Steele, the former British spy who compiled the dossier, the Justice Department stripped Orr of his uh, deputy title and ousted him from the fourth floor office at the building that the Department of Justice insiders call Main Justice. Well, the Department of Justice has provided no public explanation for his uh, demotion. Officials inside the department have told uh, news outlets that his um, uh, wearing of two hats was unusual, but also confirmed that Orr had withheld his uh, contacts with Fusion GPS men from colleagues at the Department of Justice. So it was not known at the time. Bruce Orr was uh, demoted by the Department of Justice for concealing his meetings with the men behind the anti-Trump dossier. Former FBI Director James Comey has uh, described the dossier as a compendium of salacious and unverified allegations about then-candidate Donald Trump and his associates associates, including Page, a foreign policy advisor. The dossier was provided to the FBI in July of 2016, shortly before then-candidate Donald Trump accepted the Republican uh, presidential nomination. As Comey later testified, it was uh, in that same month that the FBI began a counterintelligence probe of alleged collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. The question is, was it based on information garnered from that dossier? The disclosure um, that Bruce Orr met with Simpson and Steele last year expanded the, the reach of the dossier's creators from the FBI into the top echelons of the Justice Department. Initial investigations suggested that Steele, a longtime FBI informant whose contacts with Mr. Orr are said to date back a decade, might have played the central role in putting Simpson together with the associate deputy attorney general. Now, the revelation that Mr. Orr worked for Simpson calls that account into question. Well, the review of uh, open source materials shows Mr. Orr was described as a Russia expert at the Wilson Center, a Washington think tank. When she worked there, the wife of um, Mr. Orr with the the Department of Justice, briefly a decade ago, the center's website said her project focused on the experience of Russian farmers during Stalin's collectivization program and followed the invasion of Russia by Nazi forces in 1941. She's also reviewed a number of books about uh, 20th century Russia, including Reconstructing the State, Personal uh, Networks and Elite Identity in Soviet Russia in 2000, uh, as well as other studies in 2002. 
um, contacted um, late Monday. The Department of Justice officials again defined, uh, declined rather to make comment. Representative uh, Adam Schiff, a Democrat out of California, the ranking Democrat on the Intelligence Committee, declined to comment on the original disclosure about Mr. Orr's secret meetings and did not immediately respond to requests for comment about Ms. Mrs. Orr either. And while Nunez has issued numerous subpoenas to the Department of Justice and FBI related to the dossier and has threatened contempt of Congress citations against Rosenstein, the FBI Director Christopher Wray, uh, for what congressional Republicans have termed stonewalling by the two agencies. Schiff has mostly objected to the demands for documents and witnesses, casting the entire dossier probe as innately political. I think there is a hope that if they can impeach Christopher Steele, they can impeach the FBI and uh, the Department of Justice. Maybe they can impeach the whole Russian investigation, Schiff told MSNBC in September. James Rosen joined um, that investigation in 1999 and is the the, um, correspondent at uh, Fox who has uncovered much of this information. Well, meanwhile, the question is uh, whether or not the Department of Justice misused the dossier to spy on the Trump campaign and used it as a pretext for moving forward. I'm not going to get into all of that now because we're not going to have uh, time to, but it does raise some interesting questions and does at least help to clarify some of the issues that are uh, that Congress is seeking to uh, resolve in this ongoing investigation. And of course, they're Uh, Members of Congress are at cross purposes. On the one hand, uh, there are those who want to get to the bottom of the uh, the dossier, the investigation that grew out of presumably the dossier. Others want to see whether or not there was collusion. And they're just cross purposes, depending on the political outcomes that some members are are looking for, depending on their political perspective. Uh, My hope is that ultimately they can resolve these issues in a way that is credible so that the American people can say, yes, this is what happened. Uh, This is our response, either yay or nay, um, and we can move forward. Otherwise, this will drag on, and much like other controversies that the the, uh, country has weathered, we'll never really see a resolution, but more uh, theories about what may or may not have happened. We've got uh, news and traffic here at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blend is producing. Later this hour, we're going to talk with Joe Green. He is the author of Dare to Succeed. Now, get this. He's a very successful businessman. Uh, And he decided he was going to leave what he had been doing to establish a whole new business based solely on biblical principles. So his book tells you all all about that. And in fact, he includes the scriptures that he relied on uh, in the Psalms and the Proverbs. And it's just a a fascinating look at this seasoned uh, business uh, professional and what he has to say about the scriptures and what they have to say about your business. The book, Dare to Succeed, Experience the Satisfaction of Doing Business by the Book. He'll join us in our next segment. Uh, in this hour of the program. So looking forward to uh, talking with Joe Green. Also, I want to uh, invite you to join us. That's me and the KPDQ crew for a live broadcast from the Bible truck. Now, what on earth are you talking about the Bible truck? Well, this Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. at Clackamas Town Center, we're going to be there with the truck.
Now, the Bible Truck is a unique mobile Bible exhibition that features hundreds of historical exhibits, including educational posters and maps, Bibles, stories of persecution uh, from the Bible, videos about the Bible, and a clear gospel presentation. So come by, say hello, and join us this Friday as we explore the history of the Bible together. For more information, you can go to kpdq.com, and I have it on good authority that there's going to be Christmas music from a rather large choir there as well. Now, as of yet, I'm not sure where exactly at Clackamas we're going to be, but I'll try to get that information and let you know. Otherwise, you, along with the shoppers from all over the metro area, will be circling uh, the mall over and over and over again. Uh, But the Bible truck is what to look for, and we'll give you more information about that uh, a bit closer to this Friday, again, from four to six, and we'd love for you to to join us. One other thing I want to give ladies a heads up, Uh, you are invited to join 93.9 KPDQ and our sister station, 1041 The Fish, for a fun-filled evening with the girls. Now, we're calling it Thrive, a girls' night out. It's a chance for you to be refreshed and empowered to take on the new year. You can experience the elegance of Gray Gables Estate, enjoy a delicious dinner, hear encouraging stories of faith from the ladies of KPDQ and the Fish. Uh, Crystal Thornton will be speaking. I'll have a chance to say a word or two. And there will be others whose voices you may be familiar with, but faces maybe not so much. A Thrive will be held Saturday, January 27th at Gray Gables Estate in Milwaukee. Tickets are $25, and that includes an awful lot, and there are discounts for multiple tickets, so keep that in mind. Um, They're just $20 apiece for two or more, so come bring a friend, save a little coin. Find out more and get your tickets at kpdq.com. If you're not really savvy online, you can call our front desk, and she can connect you with me, and we'll tell you more about Thrive. The important thing right now, mark your calendar, Saturday, January 27th, and we're going to have a great time. We've been working on this, the the women here, um, and we've got some young women. We've got, you know, older grizzled women such as myself and everything in between. We're just going to have a great time uh, together as women of faith, laughing, maybe a little crying, uh, just enjoying fellowship and encouragement uh, together. So that's coming up on the 27th. Of January. Well, as those of you who uh, may listen with some regularity uh, might have noticed, I've really struggled. It's been about four weeks now. I think this is the fourth week that I've really struggled with my my throat. It started with that uh, kind of that um, cold and terrible cough that's lingered. I know lots of people have experienced that, but I think because I had so much going on during this season, you might recall the undaunted women's conference. Uh, Me and two friends uh, were responsible for putting the conference and then the concert uh, together and then went directly into the singing Christmas tree. And it was, it's been a really exhausting, but thoroughly exhilarating uh, season. If you had the chance to come to the uh, singing Christmas tree, you know, this, this was one of the best seasons ever. It, it's just such a beautiful group of people that present great Christmas music. Uh, they do it extremely well, and you're not going to find a nativity presentation better anywhere. And I wouldn't say just in churches in this area, but across the country. It's, it's a beautiful uh, introduction to Christmas. It comes early. You know, it's the first weekend right after Thanksgiving, and then the following weekend, that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then it's it's over. I can't tell you how many people I've uh, spoken with you know, paying something at the pharmacy. And they said, oh, I, you're in the singing Christmas tree. I'm, I'm planning on going. I hate to tell them, sorry, we're done. And they're shocked. But it's always early. It's, it's a good kickoff for the season, but doesn't um, 
doesn't straddle much further than that. So uh, if you haven't had the chance to see it or it's been a while, let me encourage you to make plans, make note on your calendar now. Uh, for the next season, the 2018 season of the Singing Christmas Tree, which will be its 55th. Well, all of that to say that uh, the strain on my throat of, first of all, speaking two hours a day, pretty much 300 days a, 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 a year, speaking and other singing things, it really has been quite a strain. In fact, I went and saw some professionals about that. I was concerned maybe I have nodes or some other injury to my throat, and they say it's just... Essentially, exhaustion, it's, it's overuse. And then you add to that, um, you get a cold or a cough, and that, that just made things uh, much more challenging. So it's been a, a, a difficulty, not only speaking, but certainly singing as well. Now, some of you who've been to a couple of those performances can attest to uh, the challenge that that has been. But all along the way, it's been such a delight uh, to serve and to lift what voice I have had in praise and adoration of the coming King and to celebrate Christmas and to remember the events surrounding what we as a country have put on our calendar as a celebration worth uh, pausing for. And so uh, I have, I have no complaints. I sort of rounded out the Christmas celebration in terms of serving at Harvest Community Church this weekend. The women there had a special tea, uh, a Christmas tea. And what a, what a delight it is to be invited into some of the churches here in the Portland metro area to meet my sisters in Christ. I love just sitting at my table and looking out over the faces of women, some of whom I've never seen before. Some are slightly familiar, others I, I may know. And just be reminded that we are sisters in Christ and the connection that we have with one another. It just, it delights my heart. So I had an opportunity to speak at their uh, their Christmas tea. And then uh, last night at Mount Angel um, uh, Bible Church, uh, Pastor Eric and Laura Spur, what a sweet, sweet couple. Every year they have a special um, uh, Christmas carol. It's sort of fashioned after the, the English Christmas carol services where you sing the Christmas carols, you sing all the verses, you read scripture, and you really tell the story in song and in uh, the word. And then Eric Spur, who is a great expository uh, Bible uh, teacher did a great job of focusing on an aspect of the Christmas story that really as many times as I've now heard um, exposition on the story really caused me to uh, once again appreciate an aspect of the coming of the Savior in a way that I hadn't up to that point. And if you live in the Mount Angel area, it's a great uh, it's a great little church. It's a family community church. And I think you'll not only love the Bible teaching, but the sweet, sweet people and the fellowship that uh, that you will find there. So it's been a great season, but I'm glad to have a little rest for my throat coming up. Uh, very little singing ahead and, um, well, less talking as well. Well, coming up, we're going to hear from Joe Green. He's the author of Dare to Succeed, Experience the Satisfaction of Doing Business by the book. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, hospital management pioneer and CEO fellowship founder Joe Green challenges Christians who are starting or currently running business to look to the Bible for success in operating their enterprise. What a concept. Well, in his just-released new book, Dare to Succeed, Experience the Satisfaction of Doing Business by the Book, he tells story after story that demonstrates biblical principles in action in business and how these principles can turn a for-profit business into a prosperous operation and a powerful ministry for the gospel. 
Well, this is really a fascinating story, but it's not one that's just told on principle. It's actually been done. Well, Joe Green turned more than a dozen ailing hospitals into moneymakers and managed multiple health care operations during more than 30 years in hospital management. As president of hospital operations at Humana, one of the world's largest hospital companies at the time, he had reached a high point of, in success in that field. Yet it seemed that God wanted something else from him and for him. Well, he founded a hospital Management Corporation in order to be in charge of a company that he could run solely on biblical principles. It grew into a multi-million dollar operation and became a Wall Street darling when it went public. After retiring, he founded CEO Fellowship to teach business principles based on the Bible. He has eight grown children, lives with his wife, Michelle, in Franklin, Tennessee. But today by phone, he is ours as we talk about his book, Dare to Succeed, Experiencing the Satisfaction of Doing Business by the book. Joe Green, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for calling me. Thanks for the interview. You know, it's interesting that in the 21st century, the church has been around for a while, that it's still a novel concept for business people to to purpose to run a business based solely on biblical principles. That's precisely what you did. Why do you think it's still such a novelty? It's a, it's a sure way to success. But it's very few who find that path, and yet God's there waiting for us. But it's it's unusual for the average man. And when I talk to them about operating on Christian principles, even men who've grown up in the church or women, their response is, I never thought about looking in the Bible for business principles to operate on. Now, do you think that's just because we don't fully appreciate and understand the Bible, or that we're not confident that principles that we find there, that we apply to life, that God has given us, uh, would ultimately result in a successful business? Well, I think it's both. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the years I've grown up in church and around church and et cetera, I very seldom heard anybody even mention the fact that we ought to consider operating our companies on Christian principles. Bruce Wilkerson, walked through the Bible, author, spoke to us one day and said, after many months searching, and he was teaching us as a group of Christian CEOs, he said, I have finally found what I want to say to you, and that is, your company is your ministry, and you need to operate it as such. That really encouraged me to find out how God wanted me to operate that company. And I knew if I carried out the Christian principles, then I was doing what God desired for me to do with my business life. And then I could operate this company as a ministry and use it as such to touch people for Christ. And any Christian CEO automatically draws people to him because of his success. And when you do, and they do come to you, it gives you a great opportunity to explain to them why you've been successful. Now, you had already been very successful in business. Um, what what differences did you have to make that were noticeably different from what you had done before in being successful in business? What kinds of uh, changes uh, did you have to make in order for that shift to be applied? Well, I realized that all of a sudden I needed to truly search through the Bible and find out mm-hmm. how God wants me to operate. Yes, I can be successful without using God's principles, but not accomplish what He wants. And I desperately wanted His will in my life and to accomplish what He wanted me to do. 
with my business. And so I began to search the scriptures. And most people that I went to said it won't work. You can't use Christian principles against this world and be successful. And so for two years, I refused to respond to God calling me to do that until I finally said, God, I want to I do exactly what you want me to do with my life and with this business. And I began to search out the scriptures, which I had not done before. Mm. And one of the simple scriptures that I first ran up on said, if you've got the money and you owe it, then you need to pay it. So I told the controller of my company from now on, every time we get a bill and verify the fact that we owe somebody, I want it paid immediately. He said, well, Joe, that's that doesn't make sense. Everybody holds it for at least 30 days. I said, it doesn't matter. It says in Proverbs that I need to pay it right away. It was amazing what happened because in just a few months' time, I had the president of a very large company we dealt with fly to my corporate office to talk to me. And when he got there, he said, the first thing I want to ask you is, why do you pay my bills immediately? And I said, because I have finally learned, searching the scriptures, that God teaches me to do so. And his response was, can I invest in your company? Hmm. I want to do business with you. So I began to see that God was going to honor me as I tried to understand what principles he wanted me to implement. And I had to search them out to find them and then begin to implement them. So it really goes beyond just uh, telling the truth and being fair. There are principles in how we manage um, the resources that God has entrusted us with, as you've just described, uh, that are biblical in principle but are inconsistent with how most businesses would run uh, today, and I would venture to say uh, throughout most of, of history. I think that's true. It is so different. But God wants all of us to be successful. We are different. And he wants us to be successful if we would return to him in business and ask him how to operate his business. So he said to me, from now on, in making decisions related to your employees and customers and vendors, the scripture says, put yourself in their place. Treat them accordingly, and it'll change your whole method of operation. He said, if you want to be a servant, then you need to learn to be a leader. Because Matthew said, Christ said to be a leader, you need to learn to be a servant leader. So take your organizational chart and turn it upside down and tell your people, I'm here to serve you in your job. And it began to change my whole company. Hmm. Now, the title of your book is Dare to Succeed. How do you define success? From a biblical standpoint, what, what does this, uh, success look like? Well, success for me is carrying out God's will for my life. I know if I carry out God's will for my life, I will be successful. And I want to be successful in God's eyes to do with my life what he would have me do. And therefore, it means to do with my business what he would have me do. And I believe that's real success, as I said before. I really believe he wants each one of us to be successful. And if we could just understand God's will for our life and then carry it out, I think the Bible teaches me we will be successful. He wants his children to be successful. We're talking about the book titled Dare to Succeed, Experience the Satisfaction of Doing Business by the Book. And the book, of course, 
is the Bible. Joe Green, the author, is a former Fortune 500 chief officer who uh, was called by God to step away from what was familiar, what was successful in business, and to uh, work under a model uh, that would reflect biblical principles in every aspect of the uh, of the business. Um, Mr. Green is the founder of CEO Fellowship in 2005 to mentor corporate executives and business owners in the financial and spiritual benefits of operating for-profit businesses based on spiritual principles. Now we're going to take a break here in just a moment, but when we return, we're going to look at some of these, um, some of these very uh, principles that he applied and he encourages others to uh, consider as well, because the Bible has a great deal to say about how we conduct ourselves in business. Uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, continuing that conversation. Again, we're talking with Joe Green. He is the author of Dare to Succeed, Experience the Satisfaction of Doing Business by the Book. That requires, of course, that we open the Bible and know what it has to say. I'm Georgine Rice. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Continuing my conversation with uh, Joe Green, who founded CEO Fellowship in 2005 to mentor corporate executives and business owners in the financial and spiritual benefits of operating for-profit businesses based on scriptural principles. He crafted his vision for business leaders during his own 40-year career in the healthcare field, including serving as a president of hospital operations with the Fortune 500 firm Humana and as chief executive officer of his own company, Health Management Associates. He also established the Christian Business Leaders Roundtable based in Franklin, Tennessee, where he and his wife uh, make their home. His book is titled Dare to Succeed, Experience the Satisfaction of Doing Business by the Book. The subtitle, as I mentioned, is Experiencing the Satisfaction of Doing Business by the Book. What is the satisfaction that you're referring to when an individual uh, sets aside perhaps his own interests in favor of following a pattern that's been laid out for us in Scripture and the way uh, a business is formed and conducted. It wasn't long ago I spoke to the men at what we call a, a CEO fellowship, and that morning, the, the, mor- the night before that morning, God asked me to ask them to write down just one word, are you happy? Don't put your name on it and turn it in. There's about 100 men there of those that were there, 50 of them said, I'm unhappy. And as I began to talk to them, what I found out was they weren't happy because they had never turned to God and said, God, what is your purpose for my life? What is your gift that you've given me? What is your will in me using this? And one of the first men that talked to me about it had been in his company as an officer for about 20 years. And he said, Joe, I've always been unsatisfied with my life, but I finally found out I need to turn to Christ and ask him to make clear to me what his will for me is and what his gift is that he's given me. I see him often now. He's built his own company on crystals and is a totally different person. He is so excited about his life and about his business. So God is so excited to see us turn to him in business and realize that our company is our ministry. And then when we reach that point and are implementing principles, Christian principles in that business, people will be drawn to us. And when they are, it gives us an opportunity to tell them about Christ. And that's the bottom line about business anyway. You gave so, us an—oh, please go ahead. No, that's all right. 
Uh, you gave us an example a moment ago of one of your uh, associates who wanted to invest in the business once he determined, you know, what motivated you to behave as a business owner the way that you had. How does um, choosing to seek uh, the Lord's guidance to use his gifts in the way that he intends, how does that impact your relationship with employees and others with whom you work closely in a vi- business environment? Well, they were all a little concerned at first. Because actually, they didn't know what Christian principles were anyway. They didn't know what I was going to implement. But as I talked to them, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when I understood in Matthew that God wanted me to be a servant leader, and I began to talk to them in that way, they realized how much they meant to me as individuals. And it was a different way to manage a company. I had a top man here in Nashville come to me and say, the lady that runs my front business office does an excellent job except He's such an unhappy person, and her personality is just not good for my people. What can I do? And I said, next week, take her to lunch. Don't ask her anything about the business. Don't even mention it. Just find out who she is. What does she want out of life? What does she want out of her job? Tell you about her family. I saw him a few weeks later. He said, Joe, change that lady's attitude totally. She's a happy person. Her personality just beams to everybody. And how such a simple thing could change her life when she found out I cared about her as an individual. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, my guess is that we're talking to some business leaders right now. They're already in established businesses. And perhaps the description you gave of uh, one of your uh, friends a while ago, just being unhappy or, or dissatisfied, Where do you begin to rethink, or for those who are beginning a new business venture, to think about how to make your business practice reflect a biblical uh, pattern? Well, I suggest to them first, they be sure they know Christ. You can't get past that point. Until they know Christ, there's no reason to try to talk to him. Once they know Christ, then I encourage them to spend time in prayer and Bible study and talking to their Christian friends to understand what God's will is for them and what gift he's given them. Because I think he's given each one of us a special gift. And once we understand what his will for us is and what the gift is he's given us, then we're ready to do business. And many come to me and say, but how do you make decisions based on what you're trying to teach? I said, you know what, in Proverbs, it tells me I will show you how to make the right decision every time. It startles people, but it comes right out of God's Word. And I say, if you're not at peace, you're making the wrong decision. Back off until God gives you peace to do that, because God does not create fear. He doesn't create confusion. And if that's part of your decision, you need to back off until God gives you peace related to the decision. So even the decision of should I do anything different in my company, should I operate on Christian principles, should I listen to God, I say to them, when you get peace about it, you'll know you're on the right track following what God wants you to do. And don't do it until you do. Don't go into it with confusion. And then make your company the best employer there is in in the in the country related to that type of business. So, all my business, I could spend all day telling you what gets the <laughs> company in trouble, and I try to teach that to men who are running companies already or who are building companies. Uh, number one reason for failure: the Bible says 
poor record keeping. And yet most men that I talk to do not have good records that show them specifically what's going on in their company. So I could go on with that list. I don't want to do that. I'll take up too much of your time. But the details in the Bible are there. It is a business book. It will tell you the answer to every business situation. Even in the Old Testament, in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, it talks about the whole first half of that chapter, about what God wants to do for us. And if we will follow his teachings, that he'll carry out everything we need in life. It also goes on in the second half of the chapter to tell us if we don't follow God's commands, what's going to happen in our life. And many of us struggle trying to figure out, why am I having so much difficulty, even in my business? Well, the Bible will clearly tell you why you're struggle, struggling with the things you're dealing with. Mm. So I think the main thing I try to say to people in business is turn to the Bible. Look to it for answers. Ask God to show you specifically what you're dealing with and what the answer should be related to it. And gather around you Christian friends. Don't build for yourself a board of authority. Pull together a board of advisors. Christian advisors that are on the same page as you are, because non-Christians are not going to be one of making the same trip that you are. So the Christian principles are not going to be important to them. But the Christian men who will gather around you as advisors can understand what you're attempting to do and in hopes encourage you to do so, and you can help them as you work through your company, looking specifically in the Bible for solutions to what you're dealing with. One of the chapters that may surprise your readers is titled Developing a Ministry Plan for Your Company. And again, this is in keeping with the notion that God actually has a blueprint on how we ought to conduct ourselves in business and to think about the opportunities that you have if that's a priority for you in developing a a ministry plan as well as a business plan for your company. The ministry plan is just I was so excited to realize that's what God wanted me to do. I don't need to go to a mission field. I already have my mission. And if I'm a Christian CEO, it's a very important mission. It's great to contribute money to the church and send missionaries, but realize you already have a ministry. You already have a mission. So now let's carry it out as a mission, which means we find out how to better relate to our employees and customers and vendors in the way God would want us to and how to treat those customers as somebody special. Yeah. It begins to show a whole different picture for our company, and it will draw people to you to say, why do you operate this way? And I say, if you've got a minute, sit down and let me explain it to you. <laughs> well, let me encourage uh, our listeners to do that. Our listeners today to pick up a copy of your book. That's a great way to get started. Dare to succeed. Experience the satisfaction of doing business by the book. The book is published by New Hope uh, Publishers. And Joe Green, I appreciate your taking the time to talk with us and making this resource available as well. Thank you so much for interviewing me. And I just I dare men to read the book and follow God's success plan. As they said, as young boys and kids, I am double dog dare you. <laughs> well, there you have. You've been dared. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Again, the book is Dare to Succeed. Experience the satisfaction of doing business by the book. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Vera Katz, who became Oregon's first female House Speaker, three terms as Portland's mayor, has died at 84. She'd struggled in recent years with complications from her second and most serious cancer diagnosis in June of 2004. And I have to admit, admit rather, that she'd been off the radar somewhat, and I didn't know if she was still with us or not, but was saddened to hear that she... Uh, has now passed on, and that uh, that occurred today. She was first elected in 1972. She wrote into public office on Oregon's progressive wave. She served in the legislature, Portland City Hall, for a combined 30 years. She didn't stop working after leaving the mayor's office, uh, her last elected position. In July of 2007, she accepted then-City Commissioner Sam Adams' invitation to chair a light rail committee. She drove into the uh, complexities of transportation planning and even joked in 2007 at a birthday celebration that she might run for mayor. Again, in 2008, she joined the Portland office of the influential lobbying firm Gallatin Public Affairs. Uh, she took on clients like Timbers owner Merritt Paulson as his team sought the uh, city's help securing a major league soccer status. She retired from that company in February of 2012. She was 78 at that time. She was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive cancer of the reproductive system in June of 2004, four years after surviving breast cancer. Intensive chemotherapy knocked down the tumor, but side effects of the treatment took a toll that harmed her kidneys, sending her to dialysis three times a week ever since. Her dialysis port eventually wore out, had to be replaced. She had repeated uh, uh, procedures to take care of the problem problem and then treat infections and other complications that resulted. And I'm telling you, I can appreciate what that all means. She bounced back, but always knew that her kidneys and dialysis, um, that would turn dire as it continued. She used her time wisely. She spent long visits with her son, Jesse, and grandson, Max. Uh, she spent much of her early life in upheaval, her middle years, uh, putting her childhood uh, behind her and her later life uh, coming to terms with it all. She was born in, born rather, Vera Pistrak in August of 1933 in Dusseldorf, Germany. That was the same year that Adolf Hitler became chancellor. Her parents uh, were um, Menshevik Jews who had fled Russia after the 1917 revolution brought their political opponents to power. Two months after her birth, sensing danger again, they left for France with her um, older sister, Zena. In 1940, Nazi Germany invaded France. This time, the Pristrax uh, escaped by hiking over the Pyrenees Mountains into Spain. She was then seven, and she remembers much of that whole a series of events. Well, I'm not going to go into uh, much more of her story, but she certainly had a significant impact in the state of Oregon and ultimately here in the um, in the city of uh, Portland. At 84, she is now uh, passed away, being survived by her ex-husband, her son, and her grandson. I was struck by um, the uh, the visionary and leader that Vera Katz was. Whether or not you agreed with her politically, she was something of a a significant leader in the history of the city of Portland. And I contrasted that with the, the death of another young man. This actually occurred sometime earlier, but the reports broke uh, today. He was a Chinese young man. He was, uh, let's see, 24. And uh, Vera Katz, despite the fact that she had a very rough beginning, that her family uh, struggling to find a safe place, eventually ended up in New York. And she and her husband settling in the Portland area where she left her mark, a daredevil climber who attempted to scale a 62-story skyscraper rather in China, plunged to its death, according to media reports. Wu Yongning, a uh, so-called rooftopper, as they're called, he'd earned a huge following on social media 
And the way he did that was by climbing tall buildings without safety equipment and posting vertigo-inducing selfies and videos online. So you have this young person who is desperate to make a mark, who's desperate to uh, to be known, to be recognized by others, to have a face that would be remembered. Uh, it says here he was 26. He fell from the top of a 62 uh, story um, uh, center in the Chinese city city rather of Changsha, according to the Telegraph um, newspaper. The daredevil was reportedly attempting to claim eleven thousand two hundred dollars for a clip promoting an unnamed sponsor. Uh, citing police, the Sun reports that Wu fell about forty five feet into a terrace, died of fatal injuries. Um, either during or shortly after the accident, Asia One reports that a video of the horrific incident surfaced. Uh, and is now online. I happened to stumble on it to my horror. The uh, accident occurred on November the 8th, it said, citing a post by his girlfriend on Chinese social media. He was uh, supposed to have um, proposed to her a short time after that event took place. But here you have a young man who doesn't invest in um, things that are going to last, that are that are going to give him an opportunity to um, contribute in meaningful ways, but he puts himself in harm's way and takes pictures of himself. And he considered that, I, I suppose he always imagined he would have survived all of it. Uh, he considers that a life of meaning. And I contrast that with the 84-year-old Vera Katz, who invested a lot of time in her community, serving in a variety of different ways, whether or not you agreed with her. The contrast to me was uh, rather striking. She died at 84, having lived a, f- a full and uh, meaningful life, this 26-year-old. Um, I don't know the other details of his life. Maybe there were other things that were important to him, but for the sake of a million followers, was willing to put himself in harm's way, I suppose always imagining, as young people do, that he would survive any feat he would uh, put himself uh, up to. But having lost that battle, apparently um, last month, uh, it only being reported today, and then a video surfacing of that tragic fall. And it only shows him losing his grip rather than the actual uh, fall that ended his life. So you don't see the more horrific end to it, but it it certainly is a a chilling thing to consider one generation. And I don't want to paint with a broad brush every uh, young person today, but a generation of young woman who uh, decided uh, really being motivated by John F. Kennedy as a young person uh, to invest in her community as opposed to someone who, like so many young people today, see a selfie stick and a phone as their claim to fame, um, which is fleeting and, of course, is somewhat anonymous and uh, and distant. My heart kind of breaks for this uh, this young guy and all those who will step into his um, his footsteps. I want to remind you that tomorrow is, for us, our annual partnership with World Concern. Our Radiothon tomorrow gives you an opportunity to shop from the World Concern Global Gift Guide. And this is a Radiothon that differs from virtually every other one that we do because we literally invite you to join us on a bit of a shopping excursion from your car or the kitchen or wherever you happen to be from 4 to 6 tomorrow. And you'll have an opportunity to hear some of the uh, wonderful Uh, Gifts that are available that bless the recipients who actually receive the well or the goat or the chicken or the chicken coop. We have uh, two soccer balls. And while that may seem like a simple thing, it means a great deal to kids who 
simply want to be kids and have the opportunity to play. There's a solar-powered audio Bible, 20 chickens, complete chicken package that includes a coop, feed, vaccinations. Uh, there are bed nets that protect uh, young people and their families from malaria. There are malaria treatments that you can uh, purchase um, in the name of someone here at home for, for whom you're giving the gift. Uh, there are household water filters. Um, you can give a goat, complete goat package. That includes vaccinations and a secure pin. There are um, cures for children with parasites. You can cure a 1,000 children with parasites. And we have, of course, a price tag that goes along with all of this. One garden packed with fresh veggies that can be consumed and sold for income. One year of school for a child that doubles to two children because there will be matching funds. We'll tell you more about tomorrow. There's a latrine a bicycle for a child, one water well. You can share, uh, p- uh, purchase a share in a water well if you can't uh, cover the whole $3,000 cost. But we're going to be talking about all of these items and others that are available for you to purchase. Now, this... Um, uh, this year, we want to encourage you to give more meaningful gifts, the gift of hope to a child or a family in the developing world who is living in poverty. And you can do so as a gift to someone right here. It's tough to buy stuff for people who have a lot of stuff, but this gives you an opportunity to extend uh, mercy and help to those who are living in poverty uh, and to remind those for whom you give the gift um, that uh, they were remembered in such a meaningful way. You can buy items from the World Concerned Global Gift Line that helps empower a child, bring long-term sustain- sustainable change to their lives, to their families and their communities. And you can also honor someone with each gift. A card describing the gift will be sent to you, the donor. Now, that card can then be wrapped or placed in a stocking that lets the honored person know that a gift had been given in their name. So we're going to encourage you to call tomorrow, but you can actually go to KPD com. Look for the World Concern banner at the top of the page and you can peruse the Global Gift Guide then. You can give online or you can wait and join us tomorrow for the World Concern Radiothon featuring the Global Gift Guide. We have a lot of fun. I have a, a new co-host this year, so that should be a lot of fun as well. So I hope you will uh, plan to join us for what uh, has always been one of our uh, most gratifying and I think uh, enjoyable radiothon. So that's coming up tomorrow. On Wednesday, we're going to talk with Dr. Phil Willingham. He's the author of The Most Powerful Voice in Your Life, Learn to Tame Your Self-Talk, and Douglas uh, Gruthheis, who's going to talk with us about walking through twilight, a wife's illness, a philosopher's lament. That and more coming up for uh, the remainder of this week. I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blind for producing, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night, and please join us tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.